One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to It Starts With Beer. I'm your host, Will Sis, and in this episode, I interviewed chemist and microbiologist Mary Pelletieri, who wrote, among several other books and articles, an incredibly informative book called Quality Management. She's worked with breweries big and small, and she's helped them take that logical, comprehensive look at assuring that their product is as flawless as it can be. Now I'm joined by a co-host in this episode, head brewer and founder of Brewery Legitimus in New Hartford, Connecticut, Mr. Chris Sayer. Now I wanted his expertise because frankly I was intimidated to speak with Mary Pelletier. She's an expert on setting up quality systems and using sensory analysis. Um, she and Chris clearly speak the same language. So uh, do you know what QAQC is? Because I didn't. I had to look it up. It stands for Quality Assurance Quality Control. And it's a set of processes used to measure and assure quality in a product. So while this interview isn't all insider brewing talk, there are some references that you might want clarified. So for example, Mary, uh, uh, Mary Pelletieri worked at the Siebel Institute, which is this vocational college in Chicago that's associated with Goose Island, and it's the oldest brewing school in the U.S. Uh, Chris will mention MBAA conferences, which is the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Now the rest you're going to be able to figure out by context. I have no doubt so after the interview, stay for the after party where I'll uh, reminisce about a favorite pre-COVID brewery moment and describe in uh, casual detail a strange beer I'm enjoying right now. Uh, but first, let's listen in to my conversation with Mary Pelletieri with co-host Chris Sayer of Brewery Legitimus. You're a chemist, you're a microbiologist, you've taught at um, the Siebel Institute uh, Brewing School in Chicago, you've taught sensory management, and your main focus and passion seems to have been about quality and managing quality at breweries. What inspired you to get into this field of quality management and what inspired you to write a whole book about it? <laughs> Well, I certainly didn't go into it thinking I was going to write a book about it, but, um, you know, the inspiration I think has, was always measurement testing, which was, um, a bit of a, a passion of mine. Um, I, I came out of the science of environmental studies, um, and public health at university of Illinois in Chicago. And the whole idea of public health, uh, as well as, you know, um, kind of not only creating something wholesome for people, but then also um, doing it really well with quality was um, kind of just in my DNA. So it, it seemed natural to end up um, at a brewery. Um, while I was studying public health, I was working at the Siebel Institute. So it seemed 
it seemed normal that at some point I was going to work in a brewery. You know, I met brewers from across the globe there, many who are still in the business, um, owning breweries now, many of them themselves um, or retired. Uh, one of one of the great folks that would come up all the time were, was Greg Hall and his father, John, just to say hello to the Siebel Institute folks, have a pint and, and um, got to know Greg Hall at that point. So once I had an opportunity to work, um, you know, at the brewery, I gave him a call and uh, he was happy to somehow find a job for me and I stayed there for several years. So it was a great experience for sure. Now, I'm lucky enough to be joined by an actual brewer who knows a lot more about the ins and outs of quality and, uh, and brewing than I do. Chris, um, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, yeah, my name is Chris Sayer, and uh, I'm the owner and head brewer at Brewery Legitimus in New Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, we just passed our fourth year anniversary, and um, I've been involved in the beer industry since 2002, uh, working for two different companies. And um, quality has always been an interest of mine that started in college uh, with an internship. I had a summer internship at Kodak uh, in Rochester, where I'm from. And, Spent a lot of time on filling lines, manufacturing lines, uh, doing QA, QC work for whatever was needed that day. So, you know, just seeing practices played out on the floor of a large, you know, corporation really um, is a skill that I've tried to carry into, you know, our small brewery. We're a seven-barrel brewery. Um, you know, we do about 1,500 barrels a year or so. Um, it's been a great opportunity with, you know, these QAQC things, um, and quality management, and it's all helped us. Um, and it's a continuing improving process. So it's always great to find people in the industry like Mary that have written books about it and kind of, you know, pick their brains. Cause it's one of those things that we should always be learning. When you're, um, working with, um, breweries and you're, you're probably here from a lot of them, uh, you know, quite a bit brewers, individual brewers, um, what are you finding are, are some of the, the biggest hangups that breweries are experiencing, Mary? Most breweries struggle with um, turbidity, if you want it or don't. Um, that's, that's usually kind of a common problem. Um, if you're looking at microbiological control, that's always you know perennially a challenge for every brewery, even the big ones. Um, and, you know, yeast and yeast quality and, and getting a really high quality fermentation those things are always of top of mind and then you know packaging um everyone everyone gets challenged with packaging at some point the better the equipment the better the maintenance um the better the quality it kind of goes hand in hand but um you know that's that's just it's the same kind so it's the same issues just different scale was my experience um everyone seems to understand that these are issues that can crop up. It's just different breweries might have different, different real niches. You know, there was a brewery I used to know about out in California that um, had unique issues with wild yeast. And it was just happened to be how they um, had piped some of their overflow from their fermenters. Um, and it was kind of too close to, um, to their drains and they had actual wild yeast issues because of it. Um, you know, of course, it took some time to actually figure that out. It wasn't incorrectly piped. It was just too close. And it happened to be um, the airflow and the air quality there just 
challenged them. So, you know, every brewery's got their different challenges. Um, and that's, but the different, but the same. Yeah. <laughs> and the zeros make a difference. You know, you might be dumping 50 barrels. You might be dumping 5,000 um, if there's a problem. So it adds up to just doing the, doing it right the first time. Oh, absolutely. And and that trial and error, um, you know, the more that you can you know, do that and, and have it not uh, tear up your wallet too much early on, I'm sure makes a big difference. Chris, you were mentioning something mm-hmm. about uh, packaging or um, what are the what are the issues with packaging that 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 mess up the quality of, of a beer? Um, you know, I think one of the obvious ones is carbonation. Um, making sure that you have consistent carbonation, um, that you're not only matching the style, but that uh, your carbonation are in parameters of your canning line. Um, you know, too much, obviously, it's a mess. Um, it's also a function of temperature. Um, so, you know, sometimes you might have breakout in lines because you are having a temperature issue and getting the beer from your fermenter to the filler. Um, you know, saying that we're always on the lookout for. Um, and really with, with packaging, it's just making sure that cans are seamed and sealed properly, um, that everybody on the line is looking out, not just for their zone, but if there's a different sound, if there's a can that looks a little different. Um, today we had a dent that showed up on every, you know, hundredth can. Um, we were trying to figure out like, what is it? Is it saying with the filler? Is it saying with the labeler? Is it, is it hitting something? Well, we ended up noticing that the, 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 the error was coming from, um, the actual palette itself and you know we were able to discern that it wasn't a long-term problem that it was just individual to one layer and how they had banged around in transport or had banged around uh in loading um so like you're always looking for for little things you know and and uh, you know part of a good quality management program is uh, setting your standards and your ideas um you know for what you want and then really embodying that and uh, making sure your staff are also looking for the same types of things um that you are and are just being attentive in general Mary, one of the things that really struck me in your book um, was when you talked a little bit about the clash that can happen when you, know, you you make quality management a focus, but then you also have to make business management a focus. When does quality become you know too expensive, or what's that relationship like that you found with breweries when it comes to making a quality product, but also you know watching your bottom line? It's always a, a balance. You know, you can invest quite a bit in, um, you know, pretty high high um, quality instrumentation and machinery that gives you, you know, incredibly great product coming on the uh, other end. But if you're small and you're not going to you're not going to be able to pay that back for some time, um, it may be you may be better suited um, taking that offline, doing more sampling offline. Um, for example, you know, no one, not every can afford an inline, um, you know, field check or an inline test of, of feel, um, that, that, that comes down the line. So usually, um, breweries that are smart, uh, scale their quality and their planning of their quality along with scale of production, because the, the more you make, the further out it gets from your hub, harder it is to get to get back, you start to weigh weigh the implications of if you have a quality failure, how much will this cost me? Um, and you and you make that that call. If you're just a tiny brewery and you know that you're not going to have to overextend yourself, you keep it super small. Um, it's it's manageable, but of course, 
the 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 uh, the desire is to grow, and so when you grow, you can make more money, but also you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk. I imagine. Yep, and you know, the expense of quality as you grow gets less and less um, all in. You know, cost cost per barrel. Um, but what what you are doing is investing essentially in your brand because. If your brand gets dinged by qualities as you grow, obviously it, that's a that's a ding that's very hard to get back. Um, if you've spent quite a bit of money trying to grow out of state or just even in another territory, and um, your brand gets dinged, now you know it's so many breweries out there. Another brewery will just take your place, and um, it, you got to spend even more money on marketing to get back. It's always a balance, right? You know, you're investing in your brand when you're investing in quality, I always say, as you grow. You don't want to be known as that brewery with the cans that explode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, to, to kind of echo um, Chris's thoughts on packaging quality, the first thing I always say is seal is, like, imperative. You must be able to prove or make sure that you're sealing your, your, your package because is that bad? That whole lot will be bad, and that's probably what's hurt breweries the most is a bad seal, bad seam. Um, that can, you know, that's going to bite you kind of hard. So put as much time and attention into your seaming, and then secondarily, um, as um, you know, Chris was saying, fills and gassing. You have to be sure that make paying attention to that so you're getting high quality liquid in into the can as well or the bottle. Um, any high airs can also damage the product more than what you want. You want customers saying, well, this doesn't taste like it should. So, um, but those are, again, perennial issues, no matter what size brewery, just the numbers of, of what gets impacted inflate. I was at, you know, Miller Coors for less than two weeks, and um, they had a, an unusual issue where they weren't certain if, um, if, product or Miller Lite had um, because a quality check was actually a visual check to make sure that um, a stabilizer was being added <laughs> mm. and they hadn't they weren't certain if it was happening so we had to put an entire week's worth of Miller Lite on hold and test it for the presence of it and all in it was fine but um, you know a week's worth of Miller Lite is an entire warehouse for that brewery. It was a very, and it was a Saturday, right? Two weeks in. Mm. <laughs> so again, the quality problems get much bigger, um, you know, the, the bigger you get. So you, you, you invest more in your quality team and your quality system um, to ensure that you're just, you're not, you're not stopping sales from happening. Uh, Chris, you expect Brewery Legitimus to make it to Miller Lite level? I don't know about that as far as production numbers, but you know, I was I, not I was not popular that week. <laughs> I bet from, from the beginning, like you, you know, I I hope every brewery goes in with the attitude that uh they're gonna try to control as much of the process as possible and not just throw it to the winds. But un- unfortunately, we've all been out to places where. Uh, they don't sometimes understand the problem, but they also don't take the time when they don't understand it to seek out help from those that do. 
Um, you know, a lot of us around the country have resources that we tap into. I have brewers I know that have brewed at huge installations that now are brewing for regional craft brewers that will answer questions for you all day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just, just sometimes having a different set of eyes on your processes um, or going to a brewery that is better. Um, you know, I love going up to Allagash. Allagash has some of the best procedures I've ever seen. Um, yeah. I, I, I take the tour and I learn something every single time. Um, and we try to incorporate some of those things. And it doesn't always have to be like a $250,000 piece of equipment that analyzes something. Uh, it can just be like, wow, they hang their buckets on the wall like with this kind of rack. Like, I never thought about that, and I stack them. Like, and, you know, it, little things that you pick up. Um, so, you know, really just being observant is, is one of the biggest parts of a quality management program, just paying attention to what's going on in your facility. Yeah, that's a good point. Usually what happens with quality challenges and breweries is someone being observant, for example, that Miller issue that they had, even though it wasn't an issue, it was just someone had noticed that the um, the person didn't actually know how to do the check. They just happened to watch them do it and they were looking at the wrong thing, you know? So um, it, it just, it happens that people that are being observant um, usually save you. Um, what can happen typically in a quality failure, it's, not usually just one check failing, it's usually two checks that failed. So um, it really can, that has been my experience almost all along. Two things fail, not just one. And it's, um, it's, it's a constant learning and continuous improvement to take those opportunities, which they really are, and better the brewery and better the operation because of it. Um, if, you're not, if you're not improving because of it, you're and you're just too busy, you know, to maybe implement new procedures, new training, whatever it may be. Um, you're really missing out on some of the best, you know, learning opportunities that you'll ever have with a brewery. I've been in breweries that are running too fast too. They're just running too hard. They're just doing so many different things, and they are challenged to even pause, you know, write up a corrective action report, understand what they learned short term and what they implemented long term. Those are, you know, best practices, world-class practices. And um, the breweries that do that become like Allagash. You know, they do that because they, they, they've been learning for years. Um, they've also had Jason overseeing that brewery for years. And I think the consistency of, of a person also helps quite a bit. Well, that, again, I, I, as a non-brewer, I, I've seen a lot of um, home brewers become brewers. And when you're doing that, you're kind of the, the master of your own domain. You can kind of just, you know, wing it. Uh, you're in your garage. But I'm kind of interested in that, in that transition that you've seen that homebrewers make to going pro. And also, um, how important in, uh, is training? And, and what, how do you recommend that, that brewers go about training? Well, some homebrewers are engineers, so they get into it because they're kind of, they're, they've got an engineer mind. and they're learning to be creative, right? Um, and they're kind of flexing that part of their brain. You know, there's other homebrewers that are extremely creative, almost chef-like, um, but they also have to flex to learn to become engineer-like. And I, I think um, de- depending on how you go into it and what where your strengths and weaknesses are, you have to go out and learn the other side of the trade. You know, if you're not creative, bring in some creative um, support. Um, if you're not an engineer, bring someone in that has engineering skills or quality management skills that maybe learned. Uh, we hired um, folks from Harley Davidson. <laughs> that was at Miller. 
they had no training in beer, yeah. but they were great quality, quality managers. Um, they just knew quality systems like nothing else. And uh, it came down to just applying a system to a different set of, of tools and data. And they learned a lot about beer, obviously, on the job. But um, I do think it, it, it kind of all folds together. And breweries, as they grow, start to build teams that are, have strengths in all different places. That's usually my first recommendation when people come to me and ask, who should I hire for my next quality manager? I'm this big. You know, we're trying to really kind of bring it up to the next world-class standard. And I think they bring someone from the outside of the industry as much as folks within the industry have lots to, to, you know, to provide. There's always a different little point of view that comes from outside the industry too. The part that I got out of the, the book, uh, your book, Quality Management, also was how important um, uh, the, the car industry was as well, especially when it came to automation and, and quality control. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, quality management comes out of kind of a, a more of an engineering field um, and automotive anyway. So um, the the interesting thing was when I was researching the book was how um, if you look at when quality management in the United States as a kind of a, 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 as a learning, as, as a way to start to really manage, um, started to really grow, which was in the 80s, we had 80 breweries. Mm. We had the least amount of breweries in the United States at that moment wow. when the study of quality was really starting to take off. And, you know, that's just, it was a manufacturing world in its own bubble. Um, and I do think, um, in some respects, the breweries kind of missed out because they weren't necessarily swapping, you know, um, skills across different industries. And um, they were still making quality beer, but they weren't applying kind of more of a systematic approach that um, that they were in the other in the other uh, other industry. That's changed. Have you experienced that, Chris, or are you just such a Renaissance man that you've got, uh, you know, both sides of the brain working at, at full capacity? <laughs> no, I always remind myself it's it's fun to be the artist, but at the end of the day, um, we're in the field of brewing science, um, and the science is what brings around the consistency. It really frames together the idea. So um, I, um, I love creating, but um, really what I enjoy is the consistency. Um, you know, when a yeast flocculates out the way I want it to, and I get the clarity I want without having to use an additive um, or silicate or, um, you know, like we're one of the, we, we just recently uh, purchased a filter from another brewery and like a lot of brewers now don't even look at filtration, um, but mm-hmm. we decided to go out and purchase a filter. Um, got a fantastic deal on one that was just on mothballs at another facility. Well, artistry has some element to making innovative beers or maybe sometimes a, a better beer or an idea to understand how you got there takes the science. And uh, I can never emphasize that enough. I remember um, yep. New York State had a great um, brewing series. Um, there were conferences at an institute um, and brewers could attend. And we had some great seminars on yeast and on, on malt and on um, you know, sour techniques and all this. And uh, as the series went on, the um, the attendance started to wane. And these, these conferences were super high quality. And one of the reasons why was we got into topics like water. 
um, which is you know fairly dry compared to talking about souring beers and sour and barrel techniques and all that fun stuff. But um, people weren't coming, and they were asking for the feedback, and the comments from a lot of new brewers was, oh, well, I learned all about that when I was home brewing. Um, and it killed me because um, it, home brewing is totally different. I mean, I still homebrew. Um, I make mead. I, I homebrew. Um, it's it's totally you know different. Um, this is one of those fields that you really should never stop learning. And if you say you you know it, you're arrogant. Um, I've met people that have been in the industry for 30 years that literally have you know you know in a in a non-paper way like 30 postdocs and just about every aspect of beer and they speak at the mbaa conferences and they're just incredible people and they still will go to basic conferences just to interact with other brewers and see what their problems are and just learn something new so we should always be yeah. you know, pushing ourselves any quality program whether it's it's beer wine or, or motorcycles there's always parts of the process that could be that can be tweaked that can be made better um, to make something that's more consistent for the consumer. Yeah, there's always that passion to improve to the you know, point of of not not being needed. Um, I always say quality call quality managers. Your job is to make yourself not needed, um, and that, that's hard for them to hear. But it, but to go back a second because we talked about a bit of home brewing craft and and creating kind of you know, cobblers used to create shoes and they crafted these shoes, right? They cra- and they visually inspected them and it, and it was a craft. And in some ways, you know, in many ways, brewing can feel that way where it's just like, I can taste it. I'm going to, I'm going to hone my craft, but you can hone your craft and your skills um, by just, you know, visually and, and sensor using your senses, um, improve your beer. But at some point, you want a system that, and that's really where quality management comes into play, where you're measuring and you're using these tools to measure and reduce variability. And that's actually where um, the fun begins, right? You're not just trying to control something, you're actually trying to reduce its variation. So you have, um, as Chris saying, you know, kind of that perfect beer coming out of your brewery every single time, and you have the confidence that it's perfect. You know, that's actually the ultimate um, in terms of quality. So, yeah, it's, a, it's always a pursuit. Uh, what, are, what are some of the, the, the examples of, like, uncorrected errors that can really kind of sink a brewery when you think about things that can be this thing that can start small and uh, eventually, you know, grow, mm-hmm. uh, that you want to nip in the bud early on? What are you, what are you finding that, that are the ones that – that are ones that breweries can really correct early on. One that comes to mind is maintenance, um, and on on the packaging side, uh, you, you you do really have to always amplify and up your game with maintenance. You can't run to failure, and um, if you have the mentality you'll run to failure, you'll run to quality failure before the machine fails. So um, that's that's uh, hard learning for hmm. some breweries. Um, Large recalls happen because of that. But I know we um, at Goose Island, I was there, we had an issue with, with headspace error that just continued to creep up. And it just turned out that they had not, in, you know, maintained the equipment. Um, there, there was one, one serious breakdown that had to happen, and they were just trying to run, you know, till the end of the year, right? Like, let's just get to the end of the year. And <laughs> they were didn't, couldn't, they couldn't do it. They had to take that, that week yeah. down and get do that maintenance. Um, it's always a hard call, but 
Um, those are sorts of things that catch up to you. Um, certainly, I've heard of seeming disasters that happen because, um, you know, one thing is failing and then another thing fails um, and it causes, you know, seems to not seem. Um, those things can happen too. So it's, those things can creep up on you. Um, they're not nagging issues. They, sh- they need to be, you know, monitored and, and addressed immediately. And if it means downtime, it means downtime. It's hard to take the downtime sometimes, but um, if you're right. doing a good job with logistics and in trade and you're not running everything so darn lean, you know, don't panic. <laughs> it's always been my sense. <laughs> yes, the distributor might go down a little bit more in their, their stock. But there's always... You know, if you're doing a good job, they have some stock and you're not, you know, depleting your customers of, of, of discovery of you just from doing maintenance. What you will do, though, is deplete them of that discovery of you if things have to be pulled off the shelf. Yeah. It's, it, it's just a, it, there's a, there's a sense of fear, you know, uh, but in, instead it's really, people should be instilled with this sense of control and confidence when they're doing um, maintenance for quality reasons or, or maintenance for maintenance reasons because it has to be done. Are you, are you feeling that chill, Chris? I, I've been seeing your beers on the shelves for the first time. Um, does that add another layer of uh, you know, when it comes to making the beer just right uh, now that you're not just selling it out of the brewery? Well, you know, with packaging beer, um, you know, the further it gets away from the brewery, the uh, the less quality uh, control you have, um, or the less control you have over, you know, how it's going to be treated, how it's going to be put on the shelf. And, uh, you know, uh, we have an account that turns over quite a bit of beer, and uh, our space is out there warm. So, yeah, the second that happens, uh, you know, bells and whistles go off about things that I want to do to make sure that our beer will be as, as good as possible when it gets in your hands. Um, you know, things that I found that can sink a brewery for an uncorrected error is um, just sanitation and proper cleaning methods. Um, mm-hmm. We had a brewery uh, that we knew locally that was having just the same kinds of uh, constant errors and in, in flavor in their beer. And uh, what it came down to was uh, they weren't fully breaking down their fermenters and cleaning them properly. So they were um, having buildups in their PRV valves of uh, wild yeast and other gross things because they weren't taking that valve apart. Um, it's a pressure release valve. Uh, they weren't taking it apart ever. So they're running 20, 30, 40 batches through and just infecting, you know, at random different batches of beer, not being able to figure yeah. out where in the process it was. Um, same with like a heat exchanger, you know, um, not taking care of the heat exchanger, not taking the heat exchanger apart. Is it fun to take the heat exchanger apart? No, it takes me about eight hours. Do we do it every mm-hmm. six months? Yes. Or if I need to, um, I had a block in ours, uh, probably about six months ago. I just cleaned it the month before. Um, I had a strange uh, straight piece of orange peel that just perfectly got itself wedged. And um, even though I bagged the spices, I don't know how it happened, but it happened and we caught it and we had to take it apart, um, you know, after a very slow runoff. So, you know, like those things at the brewery, you know, that the, 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 you know, for us, we focus so much on process. Um, When it comes to canning, um, if you have a canner come into your facility, um, make sure that the DO meter is di- is there and that's dialed in for your line to make sure that you're not getting dissolved oxygen that's higher um, than tolerable again into your beer. Um, make sure that you know that packager doesn't produce um, sour beers and non-sour beers in the same line. I've run into mm-hmm. that before. Um, we've always um, canned our own beer 
Uh, we never had a packer come in to do that, um, which is one of the reasons why we waited until year four to hit packer stores with six ounce cans. Um, is that we wanted to control that process ourselves from the beginning. So we own our equipment, which was a huge investment. Um, you know, we're talking six figures for, for a canning line, but, um, the control that it brings, um, for you and for your brand is, you know, for us, it was worth the extra price and the weight. So, well, you know, quality checks are actually there, um, to catch failures. So when you say, you know, kind of those nagging failures, um, the, the scariest thing is when you don't have a quality check, correct. <laughs> finding those nagging failures, they almost all always come back to like sanitation or maintenance, um, or, or maybe the quality check not being done properly, but, um, which is what I was saying. There's, there's almost always two errors and that, that might be one of them. The quality check wasn't being done properly. Um, but the, the check itself is there to check that something, you know, something isn't failing. And, um, I, the, I think the biggest nagging problem that breweries are going to continually have as they um, innovate, not necessarily grow, but maybe as they as they as they create, um, is the unknown quality errors that can happen. So, um, you know, you bring in a new yeast or a new yeast strain or a new ingredient, and you're not quite certain what micro, you know, checks you should be doing because of that. Um, and you continue to run your standard quality program and suddenly you have a problem, you know, maybe in another beer, you know, so there's, um, and, and you couldn't detect it because you weren't looking for it. There's, um, there's a process in quality um, uh, called failure modes where you actually, before you bring in a new process or you're starting a new process that you actually analyze all the potential failures that ingredients and process can bring about. Um, it's kind of like doing a risk assessment and you determine, am I checking for everything? Should I add checks? And um, I did that once when I was at Miller, the quality folks thought I was crazy <laughs> internally within the brewery, but I said, let's try this. It's a, it's a technique that, you know, it's actually wasn't uncalled for because certainly, you know, every brewery was supposed to kind of be ratcheting up their quality as much as they can. And, Doing a failure mode analysis was a big deal. So I said, let's try it. We've got a new product coming in. Let's try this. Um, and um, it turned out that one of the ingredients that, um, you know, we got from brand new for this one piece of, of, of one new, new beer, it, um, it didn't have the micro control that the quality team at corporate thought it's supposed to have. And our team discovered it. So, um, because our team discovered it because they ratcheted up their micro plan because we just determined, well, let's, since there's some unknowns in terms of microbiology here, let's just test more. You know, it's not going to hurt us. It's just for this first run. And we found um, this problem and the, the <laughs> master brewer had me come into his office and he said, I didn't know what you guys were doing with all this planning and failure modes, but all I can say is it worked, and I have you to speak. Oh, <laughs> he was nice. so thrilled that we didn't have one problem kind of create even more in the rest of the brewery because it very could have easily spread kind of through the brewery um, the way they make beer there. So um, we – those sorts of – that again, it kind of comes down to a system being in a place and, and a, a way to analyze what you're doing before you do it. Many breweries don't have the time you know, or the staff to do that. 
But if you do, and as you're growing, you need to start incorporating those higher grade principles because it will save you money all in, in time. Well, what can a small brewery do? Because in Connecticut anyway, they are almost all small to mid-sized breweries. We don't have, really, we have one large brewery, Two Roads Brewing, that is a contract uh, brewery that you know is, is much larger than the others. But most are really three, four employees at the most. Um, uh, what can they do to emulate what the what the big uh, uh, breweries do uh, when it comes to? And I'm thinking, you know, just um, the day to day checks. Um, I, yeah. you know, I, they they probably are doing them. You know, hold and release any brewery that's testing their beer in any way they can before they release it um, is doing kind of what big breweries do. I, the big brewery would taste every single tank before it was released. Um, that, you know, small breweries do that too, and you do it with as many people as you can. That's a, that's the ideal time to check something to make sure everything is good. Um, it seems redundant, but if you can get pHs and alcohol and any test that you can on that tank before you bottle it or can it one more time, because you don't, you know, there are failures that could have happened all the way up to that point, and you want to be sure it's perfect going into the package. Is that what you do, Chris? Well, to jump in on that, yeah, I, I not just simply a taste, um, you know, but like tasting your your beer throughout the entire process. Um, you know, I'm always asking our assistant brewer, you know, did you taste this today? Well, we brewed it two days ago. Did you taste this today? Did you taste it on day one? Did you taste the straight work? Um, that's a simple, hey, maybe something's wrong test that, um, then I'll give you a great example um, that you can catch right away. We did a batch uh, three years ago. We just came back from CBC. We hadn't brewed in a week and a half. Um, we were milling next to the brew house at that point, and we made a beer, and the mash smelled off. and went to the boil, and the boil smelled off, but less so, and it went to the tank, and I pitched the yeast, and the next day, it's, it, 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 I tasted and it tasted wrong, and uh, the taste I was getting was uh, pteric acid. Um, we had malt dust that had gotten into the water, into the hot liquor tank. We had water in our hot liquor tank, and uh, created this off flavor, which smells like vomit. And um, But we were able to catch that on day one, dump the batch, clean the heck out of everything, and rebrew. Um, whereas had we not had a basic basic quality program at that point and not bothered to taste our beer every day, we could have dry hopped that beer and put a you know, $1,000 worth of hops in it, put mm. it in the packaging. We, it could have gone much further, and we could have put it out there. And, I mean, I've been to places where it's like there's something seriously wrong with this beer, and it went all the way through the process, all the way to the glass, all the way to the counter in your brewery, and you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a small brewery, just taste, taste, taste. Um, you know, I, I oftentimes, I mean, at the very least, if I'm in the morning, like tomorrow, I'll be in at six o'clock, and uh, before we strike the mall while we're prepping, um, while we're milling, I'll probably go into the brewery at six. I haven't had coffee yet, and I'll probably just taste a couple of our beers on draft um, just to just for a quick sense. We just see like, how's this beer aging? How's this beer doing? Um, if you're packaging or somebody's packaging for you, um, you can catalog and archive those beers and keep an archive as long as those beers are out in the market. Hey, you know, we put out our brown ale seven weeks ago and it's still at, uh, you know, 10 package stores I saw the other day. So um, I wonder what it tastes like. Oh, well I'll go into my cooler and, and try a camp from that run. And then you can see, like, is it holding up well or is there an issue? 
Um, and if there's an issue now, how can I go back and look at my process to make that issue uh, not be a problem next time? So observing uh, overall, yep. the key thing is observing, observing your beer at all stages through the process, you know, from where, you know, it, it's, you should always be checking and that's the scientific nature of it. You should always be investigating um, and coming up with new ideas and ways to look at things. Um, we audit each other's work. We jokingly call it an audit. Um, hey, I cleaned that tank. Yeah. Can I take off the valve and look? Yeah. Um, I did that last week and um, found that um, the spray ball didn't clean one of the ports as well as I wanted to clean it. And I was like, well, we got to clean it again. Um, so you, those little things that you guys do for each other, um, you know, kind of helps everybody sleep better at night, knowing that you're taking the best measures you can to try and control your quality. Um, yeah. And so much. Yeah. Visual checks, sensory checks, smelling, tasting. These are things big breweries do and small breweries do. And they're probably some of the best things you can be doing. They're not expensive. It's just you doing the work and maybe having a redundant check, just like you said, someone else coming in and visually assessing and signing off on something. Those are things that, you know, any brewery of any size can do. It's just a matter of implementing it and being rigorous enough to say, this is our policy and procedure and this is how we act. Um, And then if we find something strange, we actually stop it. That's (laughs) that's critical too. um, Because, you know, having the discipline to say, no, this is off. Um, it, it, it's also perfectly within your control. Big and small breweries sometimes are challenged by that moment. Um, so I, I would say, again, it's, it's funny how it's, a, it's an even playing ground um, when it comes to quality. It, it kind of just comes down to you know, really great training and behaviors uh, on um, being disciplined. So businesses all over the world uh, have been impacted by COVID-19 in terms of um, you know, making things, you know, trying to stretch a dollar. Um, and, and I'm wondering what impact have you found or could you imagine uh, having that um, impacting the quality management of breweries? Do you think that breweries are cutting back on that along with, say, you know, wait staff and, and that kind of thing? What have you found? I know tap rooms are um, clearly, you know, very impacted and where they can be challenged is when they reopen and lines haven't been cleaned and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully they're not cutting co- corners if they're, they're pivoted to package beer. Many breweries, um, thank goodness, uh, I know um, one that I'm working with here in Milwaukee uh, has been successful in pivoting to just packaging a lot more. They've actually grown during covid um, but they they had fairly robust packaging sales to start, so they're investing in quality again. But I I would hope that um, you know you don't cut there, um, you don't cut where you know sanit- you don't cut sanitation, you don't cut maintenance, these foundational things that actually will ultimately you know can put the nail in the coffin if you don't do it right. When you cut quality, it's because if you're cutting a check or if you're cutting a quality. Um, procedure it's because you're so in control you can do that <laughs> not because yeah. you don't have the money <laughs> right right that's the only time you're allowed <laughs> now you recently wrote, wrote, co-wrote a book on food safety for breweries and i know that that's an uh something that breweries have had to do in connecticut anyway it's a law now that they have to serve food at the brewery um in order to them for them to have um guests you know at their brewery um, how have breweries adapted 
to improving their um, food safety measures that you found? Um, I do think the Brewers Association and Boulder is, is doing a good job getting word out um, that there's new laws and on, on the books that um, really the FDA wrote that breweries have to comply with. Breweries are complying with just a higher level of sanitation now. Uh, it used to be loosey goosey, you know, um, allowing cats and dogs literally in the brewery. <laughs> and certainly, if you have, you have food that you have to serve as part of your tap room. You're going to have the health department coming in there, and there, there's, there's nothing stopping them from, you know, investigating and you're walking into the brewery and asking questions as well. So um, there are standards out there that breweries have to comply with, and most of them are are up and up, you know, up in their game. It does because it's a low risk food material. Um, most FDA inspectors are very, or or health department inspectors are going to be a little more lenient. So if you say oh, I didn't realize that that was going to be a problem. They'll say, please correct it. And then maybe they'll come back a few months later. Um, they're not going to stop you from producing. Uh, you have to be pretty flagrant in your um, missteps there for them mm-hmm. to stop you. But it doesn't doesn't stop them from looking now. Um, and, you know, when I started in the industry in the 90s, a lot of brewers thought, no, the FDA has no reason to walk in here. And I kept saying, no, actually, they can, you know. <laughs> The health department can come into any any operating food or beverage um, just because you're making alcohol didn't, well, didn't yeah. give you a, a, a limit to that. But the rules weren't as clear as they are now. What's that been like at Brewery Legitimus? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's so much to jump on with this. Um, you know, we've grown a lot this year um, despite COVID. Um, we went to a food model. Um, to comply um, because we've always had a high standard of food trucks we brought in and uh, we didn't want to half facet on um, how we do our food. So we opened with, you know, cheese and charcuterie plates, hummus, olives, like all sorts of like small plates that we do. And um, one of the keys that really helps for breweries is uh, don't look at your relationship with your health department in an antagonistic eye. Um, Look at it as a partnership. Um, you know, we all have to register with the FDA. We are all subject to be inspected eventually. Um, while the health inspectors generally don't come into a brewery to see, you know, how you're you know, making beer, you know, we, we luckily make something that doesn't harbor pathogens. Um, once you do have the food, they, they are more likely to look at how you handle the rest of the things in your facility, like your grain, pest control, things like that. Um, our mm-hmm. cat, sadly, went home to live with us last year, and he loves it here, so... Um, but you know, at the brewery, um, you know, we amp up all those things. Um, and you know, some of the things that I see out there, you know, is just, um, there's the, there's a list of things that are generally regarded as safe in beer that TTB, our governing you know, body of the government that approves our labels and our formulas, um, have a list of items. Um, just because you can eat Oreos in your kitchen and they're fine doesn't mean that all the ingredients in Oreos are on the gross list, the generally regarded as safe list, if you smash up 100 packages and put them into your mash tun. Um, great example, um, wild mushrooms, raw mushrooms um, with alcohol, un- unknown side effects. Could be great for me, could be great for you, could really make Will sick. Um, so so there are things that are random. So, um, you know, following the list that's regarded, you know, for items that are regarded as safe, making sure that you submit to formulas. If you have an item you want to put into a beer so that they can make sure that there's 
maybe a paper or someone's art done analysis on the item so that we know that it's safe to go into beer. Um, as far as, you know, food safety, um, you know, just hand in hand with keeping your customers safe. You want to make sure that you're, you're learning as you go. We flew into a restaurant model on the fly with no restaurant experience between my wife and I. Um, but you know, we immediately got the training courses for our staff members on food handling. Um, we worked with our uh, health department. We're building a kitchen out now, but in the interim, we're using our uh, secondary barn, our new space, because we aren't serving beer out of it yet. So we were able to work out, you know, using our three-bay sink for dishes um, for glassware as a three-bay sink for our, quote, kitchen behind the bar. And um, we're able to put out small plates. And, you know, the, it's become a decent little chunk of business um, for That's us. That's awesome. So, yeah, it just you just have to stay on it, you know, and um, best practices, just like in your brew house, you want to make sure everything's clean, you want to make sure you handle everything well, and uh, seek out advice from people who are better at it than you. Um, there's no need to have, you know, unnecessary pride thinking that you know how to do something. Um, you can always learn from people that are better than you, just like uh, with brewing. Um I love going to places that make better beer than me. I love having those piece, people come into my place and help me make better beer at my facility. So same with food. I always had small breweries ask to come visit me when I first got into Miller. You know, I had a, a lot of friends in the craft beer business still. And I, I remember fondly um, when Vinny Treluso from Russian River came to visit. Milwaukee with his wife for the first time um, mm. and they were so excited to be in Milwaukee and I walked Vinny around with um, a hard hat you know all sorts of personal protective gear for the OSHA requirements that we had um, and he got to see you know a large kind of ancient brewery you know and I think it gave him new eyes as well to how breweries grow you know this is um, they don't you know, this brewery had been there since the you know late 1800s, and it was it wasn't all immaculate. You know, the new stuff was, but there were tunnels and caves, and, you know, <laughs> all sorts of strange things. We walked into a kind of a mothballed part of the brewery that, that literally called them bathtubs, um, but they were the open top fermenters that they had mothballed. But oh, it's wow. pretty cool to see, you know, that they're sitting there still. Um, so I think there's, there is, there's so, and that kind of, that history, um, kind of brings people into the fold of innovation, um, cause they want to kind of maybe bring back Renaissance style or try something different. Um, and we're on the kind of topic of food safety, not to leave it. Um, what Chris was saying was exactly right. You, you have new products that are coming into the market, new, 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 um, maybe you're trying something new. I think the biggest challenges breweries, small breweries have is they innovate faster than their quality system is able to manage it. And um, also, and, to jump in on that really quick, they're also um, feeling, and we do too, we all do, we feel the pressure to put out beer faster, um, to take the resistance, to, to not take the shortcut. Um, you, know, you go to breweries where they're fermenting beers five, six degrees higher than where they should be uh, mm -hmm. because you get the beer out three days faster and make money, but they're kind of kneecapping themselves because the beer is having quality issues um, in taste because the fermentation profile was way out of whack. And yeah, that yeast put out faster, but it, it also created off flavors. And that yeah, got a quality issue. yeah. 
I'd like to finish up by talking about, you know, people like uh, that are average drinkers that might not really, um, you know, know the ins and outs of brewing. But what are some of the red flags that your average um, drinker, you know, should be paying attention to when it comes to visiting a brewery, um, drinking a beer uh, from, you know, just get the, the can that they get? What are some things that they should be appreciating uh, on the positive side and also, you know, being wary of on the negative side when it comes to quality management? Well, you know, I, I used to think sanitation was everything, but I've been to Belgium and I've walked into some ancient Lambic breweries. And But usually, you know, if a brewery smells clean, looks clean, is tidy, that's actually a great sign that they're really thinking about quality, you know, in today's standard. Um, I, I Obviously, the taste of the beer, the freshness of the beer, it's the experience, you, you know, every every country you go to, you could have a different experience in a brewery. Um, it's kind of what did they want to achieve and are they achieving it? Um, because that's, you know, a standard here might be a completely different standard somewhere else, but that can be kind of tough. I mean, yeah. you know, in this era of hazy beer where, you know, <laughs> you can, you can see stuff floating in there and you say, oh, I guess they meant that. And also some exotic flavors. I remember when I was first getting into beer and, and I was like, I don't know if that's off Mm-hmm. Or if that was their intention, you know, and, and I'm sure they're not, you know, um, BJCP judges sitting there and everything and saying this is a little bit, uh, you know, too carbonated for the style. Um, but, you know, just the average person, should you, should they speak up? I think, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's an experience that you're paying for. And if it isn't exactly what you wanted, I mean, heck, I know the wine industry is all over that, you know, um, and cause they can have taint in a bottle from the court. So, you know, there, there, you always should speak up if you just don't think it's right. Um, I know we've, I remember being at Goose Island and we would help isolate <laughs> some, some problems in, in the, in the draft lines. If we went to an accountant and said, eh, this one tastes good, but this one's a little off. Let's make sure that you don't have some, um, old kegs or, you know, um, possible problems with diacetyl in these lines. Um, you know, there's, I think good pub owners and good breweries are always going to want to know about quality issues because you can only improve from them. Um, it's not something to be ashamed about. Everyone's got, everyone has the challenges of, of keeping, you know, quality up to snuff. My thanks to Mary Pelletieri. Her book, Quality Management, is published by Brewers Publications and available on Amazon and BrewersPublications.com. You can find her Top Note Tonics at store.topnotetonic.com. And thanks to Chris Sayer. Please follow Brewery Legitimus on Instagram at Brewery dot legitimus. Hey, welcome to the after party. Put your feet up on the orange couch. Have another beer. What am I drinking? I am drinking what I mispronounced recently. It's from Thomas Hooker. It's called Fooderfest. Merzen style. So wheat. I mean, this is a sweet beer. <laughs>
This is maple syrup sweet. Maple-y, maple-y. Um, you can see a very kind of light uh, orange in color. Uh, it does not retain much, uh, much fizz, but it is uh, uh, still, I wouldn't say refreshing. I mean, in, but not in a bad way. It's certainly uh, uh, tasty. Um, it's uh, got um, some, a lot of notes of caramel. A lot of notes of, uh, mm, a lot of notes of, you know what? And I was going to resist it. It does have a marshmallow kind of uh, uh, smell to it. That's the way that they advertise it, um, is having a little taste of marshmallow. And I was saying, no, I didn't get it, but now I kind of do. So I don't know, suggestion or real, who knows? And um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it um, out of there large 16 ounce can i don't know i'm a big fan of the 12 ounce cans so i only got four in this pack i don't know when's the industry gonna go my way back to 12 but hey good job thomas hooker i had to look it up a fooder um is uh spelled f-o-e-d-e-r and uh it's a just a big wooden barrel where uh beer can age pick up the notes of the wood in this case uh, oak so this is um yeah a wonderful lager of course if it's an oktoberfest it's lager uh 6.2 percent yeah toasty roasty real nice so i had to do a lot of homework for this episode um reading quality management was like um, you know, auditing a course at a really cool college where we took a class in, well, it was, it was certainly about beer for sure, but it was, it was about management. It was about, uh, all the different tests that you have to, uh, give periodically while you're making your beer. It really got into the weeds. This is not, I mean, this was like a textbook that is for, people who brew so if you brew professionally and you have not read quality management um get it get that book working with chris uh was great i've known chris for um uh, several years now he has always been wonderful to me and uh, has kind of reached out um to me in the past to uh you know connect and i've always appreciated that about him so great guy um and he handled himself very well as as a co-host who had a lot of great information um, from his own brewing experience. And, you know, I got to thinking about the last time I was at Legitimus um, in the pre-COVID days. It was, well, it wasn't the last time I was there, but it was one of the most memorable times I was there because my band got to play. I'm in a band called South Road, and we played... Uh, a really fun gig there and I just remember you know how you know crowded it was and how you know everybody was just having such a good time and I was thinking about you know playing my guitar how you know inches away from people who were either grooving in their seats or getting up and you know dancing and stuff and uh, I miss that so much um, they they always do a wonderful job of you know, having live music, but 
I mean, a lot of breweries in Connecticut do do uh, wonderful jobs. And uh, man, I mean, that's what I really, really miss. I, I don't I don't mind sitting outside. I don't mind wearing a mask. Um, what I really want to do, though, is hear that hear that music. Uh, fantastic stuff. Um, let's see the. Uh, <laughs> The North American Guild of Beer Writers Awards uh, are going to be announced on Saturday, October 17th. And I submitted this podcast um, as a member, so I'm really hoping that I win. I don't think the chances are good. Not that this isn't an excellent podcast. I'm new. So if I do win, you will find out about it. But... Uh, even if I don't, um, I will make sure that I mention the uh, the podcasts that did, and uh, I hope you support them. I don't know what my next episode is going to be. It was going to be with Dana Bork of Firefly Brewing, but that's got to be postponed, unfortunately. So there might be a two-week hiatus until my next interview. I'm going to have another co-host, uh, Jamal Robinson of New England Brewing Company. He's going to join me, and I'm going to interview sociology professors Daniel Chapman and David Runzma. And they wrote a book called Beer and Racism. Uh, it is another bit of homework uh, to be reading this book of theirs, which is not a breezy book at all. It's a real sociology text. So I am making my way through it and uh, enjoying what I'm reading. So we will see. Okay, I'm literally listening to my little daughter in the background crying, so um, she's woken up from her sleep. I hope it wasn't because of me. I'm going to go check in on her. Until next time, sip well. One, two, three, four.